Hey, Jeff. How's it going, Josh? Going good. Welcome to uh, the Christian Free Thinkers Project. Thanks, man. Um, welcome to the Christian Free Thinkers Project also. Thank you. So I have to double check. I gave you a homework assignment, which was to not look something up. Did you follow through? I did follow through, and I, I hope you appreciate how difficult that was for me because I, I'm like, I must <laughs> learn this information. Oh. How have I not known this tantalizing thing? <laughs> and how unnecessary of you to mess with me by asking me, hey, are you familiar with this? Don't look it up. Instead of just asking on the show. Well, I mean, you, if the answer was yes, the outcome would have been exactly the same. You know, it would have been, but I love just dangling something in front of you because I know how much like how much you are like me where you want to know. And it's just so difficult to be outside of the know on something. It's so impossibly hard, isn't it? To like to not try to learn more about something. Yeah. Like, I really, I know it's true for both of us. I have a hard time when, when someone, uh, you know, when I encounter somebody that, that doesn't want to learn. Right. Because I just can't fathom it. I'm like, how can you, how, how are you content to just not know? You know, sometimes when I do know, I think back to, man, it would have been nice not to know. But most of the time, I just can't help myself from learning. So, like, I, I get both sides of it. Like, I've had times where I've just sat there and I said, I wish I could just be a person who can just go his entire life, not have to question, not have to think, just be like, okay, that's it. I accept it just because that person said it is. And it's their job to think, not mine. And I just can't shut my brain off, unfortunately. I have never thought that ever. No. Well, just in the <laughs> fact of it would make life so much simpler. It, you know, like it, I, I, I guess envy it's people like it's almost like a superstition for me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like I can't, I can't even joke or l allow myself to think for a second that, man, that would be nice because I'm like, ooh, no, but what if, like, uh, all you right. know, a rock falls on my head out of the sky and all of a sudden, you know, um, you know gomer pile and just accepting anything everybody says that ah, sounds terrible i don't want to ask for that we're gonna well i guess we'll have to find out how old our listener base is by if they get the reference of gomer pile or not i mean i feel like no that that's a, that that's like even older than us old that's like our oh, parents and grandparents yeah you know that's but you're, but yeah. i feel like everybody's seen like some kind of you know rerun of the andy griffith show uh when they were like sick as a kid, right? That wasn't my chosen uh, thing when I was sick. I, I, I prefer The Price it was is Right. Not, it was um, not my chosen thing either. Yeah, or or I get stuck with other daytime television programming that maybe my, my mom would have on. Um, but anyways, I digress into... Yeah, we, let's, let's, yeah. let's talk about something. So before I really get into this, I want to get your perspective on something, Jeff. Um, I want to know what your thought is from a Christian perspective on the patriarchy. And what I mean by that, I'm going to be a little bit more, a little bit more descriptive is that, um, growing up in the evangelical church, my experience, um, taught a lot about, 
um, you know, man being created first, you know, women created second, women to be the man's helper, um, talking about, you know, the different roles inside of a marriage that, you know, a man is to, you know, go and make money and, and do all the things that we attribute to as, as masculine sort of qualities. And the woman's job was to, to manage the house and to, you know, be, make sure that the husband and, and his children are taken care of. And, and that's kind of the exposure that I got in, uh, the Christianity that I grew up with evangelicalism. Um, so with that in mind, and, and our, our modern culture would call that today the patriarchy, essentially, or, or man-led, husband-led, father-led. I was going to say, you and I are obviously the most you know, qualified people to talk about the patriarchy being two white males. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I want to say so many things right there, but they're all sarcastic and, and they're all in... in you know, good humor, but they'd still just, it's not worth the, anyway. All right. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, my experience was a little bit different than yours in that, um, I, I didn't come to the evangelical church until I was, uh, about 12 years old. So I came out of a world where it was, you know, I was raised. Okay. Uh, anything that, uh, a, man can do, a woman can do. And anything a woman can do, a man can do. And all of a sudden, I was sort of swept into this culture that said, well, not really. No, no. The, uh, you know, the man's, man's the head. And uh, the woman, you know, has to, um, you know, she has to submit. Literally, that I mean, that's the word, right? Submit uh, to the husband. And, um, women definitely could not be pastors. That was definitely not permissible. And it, it, it wasn't a, a disrespect for women in that culture. It, and that's not how they perceived it. Um, they perceived it as, um, uh, as an order of things, uh, the, you know, if, if the man was smart, he'd listen to his wife, but somebody has to have the final say, right? How else would you do things? And um, even beyond that, then you get into, um, you know, the uh, the women definitely aren't supposed to be, you know, teaching men. Mm, that's yes, I've that's heard just. That one. That's just a, an absolute non-starter. Mm. And the really bizarre thing for me was, uh, you know, having this information um, very forcefully uh, thrust upon me by a uh, uh, very smart, very headstrong, then 12-year-old girl who was a very good friend of mine. Uh, and so... Um, Wait, that, was, and was that your wife? No, no. Okay. Oh, no, no. My no. Kristen was uh, um, from a. She was from the AG, and the AG out here at least did not seem to take that kind of uh, tact. So, uh, you know, this was uh, you know this was the uh, uh, the family who 
um, you know, they, I, they basically, I still consider them to be my family. So, you know, and, and all of us have, have grown and, and, uh, you know, our views aren't, I don't think any of us have exactly the same set of views. Um, you know, but it's really funny to, to me to look back on it and, you know, hear this, this very impassioned argument about all the things that women can't be or can't do from a very headstrong 12 year old girl. Um, just the irony there is, uh, it's pretty intense. Yeah, I, I could see how that would be. I could see how that would be. So with that being said, your position today is... Women definitely should not preach. And, and the reason for this is because there's this shrillness in their voices... Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I, um, <laughs> I just trying to stop your heart Jeff, there for Jeff, a please stop channeling Fox <laughs> News. Oh man, no. Um, actually, my my belief now is uh, that there's there's no reason that a woman couldn't be a pastor, and there's. Um, my my personal opinion is that you you do need somebody to make the final decision right um but in my family we've found a way to address that and that is um if either my wife or i feel strongly against something then the other one will say all right well um, you know what, let's just, let's go with that. If, if you feel that strongly about it, then, you know, we'll, we'll take this other course of action. So basically you're just sort of respecting each other. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's a weird, you know, I, I, and I understand it. I mean, I, I say it sarcastically and, uh, and it's, it's more like, it's not it's not meant to be sarcasm directed as much at um at the current evangelical church as it is at younger Jeff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but I I understand where they're coming from in the sense that it, it, the evangelical church is a culture that very much tries to respect authority. And tries to establish a hierarchy of, um, of authority in everything, in the church, in the government, in the house. They feel like the chain of command and order and uh, knowing what the rules are is is a, is a, a very high priority for them. Okay, that's a fair way of saying that. And so I kind of want to talk a little bit about the kind of the origin of where kind of that patriarchal perspective kind of came from. Um, are you familiar with, with kind of, you know, like, like if you were to ask, you know, any most evangelical pastors, if you were to ask, you know, 
um, you know, and most evangelical Christians, you know, why is it that, uh, that why is it that man is ahead of woman? Um, what, like, do you know, like, where, where they would, like, why they would say that? Like, do they have some sort of Bible reference or? So I, I would say the, the two, the, the, the three big, um, areas that they would pull from would be first that, uh, Eve was created from Adam, right? So he was a complete thing, a complete being, and then. Mm -hmm she was created from him now okay i say that with the caveat yes he was lonely and incomplete so he wasn't really a complete being without her but anyway the point is is that woman came from man right mm-hmm. uh the second thing that they would pull from is obviously she was the bonehead that ate the apple and you know tongue-in-cheek because i know it wasn't an apple uh and then uh, the the third, and this this is the one that, um, you know this is this is the one that I always consider to be a, a proverbial thorn in my side, and uh, and it, it has definitely led to a number of um, of my beliefs, which we've discussed in in uh, you know even in the last episode about you know the uh the canonization of of the new testament the third one i'd say is paul um you know i do not permit a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man All right and i i've just always found it really curious how it is that um you know that we're willing to say that the new testament is authoritative and it is the um, infallible, unquestionable word of God. And yet there are things in there like, I don't let a woman teach and I don't let a woman talk at church. And, you know, you'll get answers of, oh, well, you know, it's because of issues that were going on with it. Well, you know what? The thing is, is that's not really clearly set forth. And so now you're you are demonstrating the uh the fact that there is interpretation that is required there is uh a certain amount of reading into that must be done to understand this and uh immediately it's calling into question the idea that um you know that, that God gave us this like real real clear very understandable um straight from his mouth to our ears uh set of documents well thanks for that jeff i think that that's pretty good thorough explanation understanding i I appreciate that um and speaking of reading into things um i want to talk with you about something that is uh has come out of um today is classified as uh, jewish folklore um it's something that uh, really came to be known and written about um, as early as the uh, the fifth century, um, as well as in the um, the eighth and tenth century. I'm talking about AD here, not BC. Um, and there were um, a bunch of Jewish rabbis, and this is during the time that the uh, the 
the rabbinical Talmud was being written. Um, And so those who are not familiar with the rabbinical Talmud, essentially it's a book of writings of rabbis who essentially express their opinions on the Hebrew scriptures. And um, it's something that it has not been added to um, in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's something, so around the time of its writings, um, and, and it's still actually used today as a primary source of how to interpret the Hebrew scriptures, um, both by Christians as well as by Jewish scholars. Um, and can I, can I just interrupt you for one second too? Yeah. I, I don't think that we've covered this before, but correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, even the old Testament had, um, a, a number of variations and lacked a um, a complete canon up until about the time of Christ. Um, it really did, and a lot of that, um, a lot of scholars would relate that to the fact that essentially Israel kept be- being conquered. <laughs> um, <you know. laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, you know they they would have the writings and they would be conquered and they would you know they used to be you know they would be stored in the temple, um, and it really wasn't until kind of Rome came in um, that they kind of started a little bit more of a, of a separate tradition of where they would actually have um, more than just the the temple they would have um, um, synagogues and synagogues were like a place where people who couldn't make it to the temple so the temple was for sacrifice and the synagogue was for teaching and so um they would the local synagogues would have copies of you know various jewish works uh, very very various hebrew authors um and you know some synagogues might have you know works that uh, relate more to them or that the that their rabbis their teachers felt related more to them um and yeah it was around the time of the romans um, that around the time of Jesus, if not shortly after the time of Jesus, that they um, decided to put together um, a canon, and a canon is essentially a list of a a list of books that are everyone agrees are the the essentially are the authoritative Hebrew Bible, and so they put together a list of books, and they actually ended up modifying it later uh, because they ended up. Um, realizing that uh a lot of the some of the uh some of the books that were taken out um that we would notify that we today as christians would describe as the apocrypha um they were taken out of the hebrew bible because they had heavy messianic leanings and a lot of those scriptures were actually being used by christians to convert um the israelites the jews into christianity so the Jewish, it's widely known that the Jewish culture actually redid their canon and removed those books from their canon. Um, and that's actually, that newer canon is the one that Protestants use, actually. is That's why we don't have the apocryphal books in them, because they use the more up-to-date Jewish canon. That's hilarious. Is it not? That is just absolutely dripping with irony and hilarity. I think so. But anyways, now that you've sidetracked me, not that that wasn't interesting. Sorry. I enjoyed telling that story. But I want to tell you another story. So during this time, the rabbis, you know, they're, they are going through, they're pouring through scripture, Hebrew scripture, you know, they're, they're coming up with their opinions. And it's a big question of the day, you know, as they're reading through Genesis, 
Um, as anyone who's read Genesis, you'll notice that there's two creation stories. There's a creation story in Genesis chapter 1, and there's a creation story in Genesis chapter 2. Um, yeah. Yes, Jeff? You look like you want to say something. Wait. Um, I was just sarcastically pondering how you can possibly take both of those literally. So anyways, there's two creation stories. And My bad. As you notice in in Genesis, I want to say it's Genesis 1, which is the less detailed version of it. It talks about how God created man and woman in his image. And yet in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about how God created man, yet man was lonely. And so God took a rib from man and created woman. And so they're like, wait a minute. I thought that God created man and woman in his image. This is... And so there was a large group of... This is where this kind of Jewish mythology came from. And the understanding of these is actually saying that these are actually... These are not the same story. These are two different stories, actually. What? Yeah. And so the question really became, who is this woman that was created in God's image. Who is this woman that was, you know, like how if if Adam was sculpted from the earth and God breathed his breath into him, that's how it was described in, in Genesis 2, then who is this woman that, that God did that as well? And this is where um, we come into actually Adam's first wife, Lilith. Well, I know you're not going to say that Adam was divorced because that would not let him be a pastor in the AG. He would definitely not know. Um, so as the story goes, you know, that, well, there's some stories that talk about essentially they were both created at the same time. There's even some stories that go as, uh, that say that Lilith was actually created first. And there's other stories that actually that, you know, say Adam was created first. Um, the more traditional one talks about Adam being created first. And that he had created Lilith from the earth. Now, something unique about Lilith is she actually has wings. Can I ask a question? You may. Does does Lilith exist in any writings before like 500 AD? Not that we found. No, the, the earliest writings that we found them, her to be, is in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So that would be around 580. And do we have, like, what texts do we have of the Old Testament from before then? Do we have copies of Genesis that, that predate that? You know something? I will be honest and say I am not a, enough of a Bible scholar to know the answer to that. That's good, because you've been lying about everything else. This is No, just kidding. <laughs> so do you want to know about Lilith? You want to know what happened I to do, her? yeah. All yeah, right. she's, got, she's got wings. She flew away. Right, right. No, no. So this She was like, so, forget this patriarchy. So, so, so the story <laughs> is that he created the woman uh, for Adam from the earth, as he had created Adam, right? And Adam and Lilith immediately started to get into a fight. Immediately. Do you know why? Dear God, I hope that Adam doesn't kill Lilith in this story. Tell me why. Because Adam demanded that 
when they were to have relationships to consummate their Did relationship, she put her wings away? that he would be the one on top. What? He said, I will not God. lie below you, but only on top, for you are only fit. Sorry. For you are only fit to be on the bottom position while I am the superior one. Putting aside all the inappropriate jokes that are running through my head right now. <laughs> what the crap? Oh, sorry, that was Adam. Smoking? So, so yeah, sorry. So let me start that again. So Adam said, I will, or Adam's, yeah. Lilith said that she would not lie below Adam. And Adam said, I will not lie beneath you, but on top. For you are fit to only be in the bottom position while I am in the superior one. And Lilith said, we are equal to each other in as much as we are both created from the earth. But they would not listen to each other. And when Lilith saw this, she pronounced God's name, the ineffable name, and she flew away into the air. Whoa. I mean, I am glad he didn't kill her. He did not kill her. And no wonder he was lonely. He's kind of a jackass. Right? Although she sounded kind of like, she's kind of... she She's the one who said, we are equal. We are both created from the earth. Oh, I thought I thought in your story... No. Okay. No, no. All all of the, uh, the horrible stuff was Adam talking to her. And... And neither one of them wanted to take the bottom position. <laughs> neither one of them. Yeah. I just, I can't even say it with a straight face. It, it's just, it's just the absurdity. So, so, so Lilith flies uh, away and Adam complains to God saying, this woman that you sent here, she ran away. And so God sends three angels after Lilith. He said, if she, can, if she comes back on her own, that's fine. He's like, if not, then 100 of her children will die every single day. Now, the angels went and they found Lilith and they told her. And she, she said that come she, back. she would not come back. She would not come back. She was like, she was like, listen, first off, how do I know that God told you to say that? Second of all, second of all, I have a hundred babies a day at least. Okay. So no, wait, wait, no, let me say this. So this is not her literal children since she is, you know, to call her the mother of humanity. You know, this is a metaphorical of 100 human children will die a day. And so. Um, the tradition came, it's a, it's a, a, a Jewish tradition. Uh, most, it's not, not really held today except for in, in some smaller circles, but, um, they will put a pendant with the names of the three angels around the child who has been born until they're named. Um, you know, for boys, that's, I believe I want to say it's on the eighth, the eighth day after they're born, they're named. And then for the daughter, I want to say it's 20 days after they're born they're named so they wear these amulet of protection with the angel's name otherwise lilith will will kill them 
That's nonsense, man. That's just, I'm sorry. Like, that's just, that's just a stupid story. Like, that's a dumb story. I'm not saying that that you told a dumb story. I mean, you did tell it, but, you know, it's not your creation. So this isn't your fault. I don't blame you. No, no, I understand. But I mean, so to me, there's two parts of the story that the reason why I told the story, I agree with you. I think it's stupid, but there's, there's two parts of the story that I want to talk about. First of all, you know, with the way that I think it's very interesting that, you know, almost, you know, 150, sorry, I can't do math right now. 1,500 years ago that the, that the Jewish rabbis, um, in their, wisdom of you know trying to you know they see that there's a gap here and and my view is that they took this opportunity as a way to subjugate women as well as a way of saying that the women who are good are the women who know their place and the women who do not acknowledge their place kill babies you are you're the lilith you are you are not acknowledging your role and because of that, everybody's baby gonna die. Yeah. Man. Lilith. So now the second, so then to me, I mean, this is, I'll be honest with you, like before I had a daughter, both my wife and I, um, we were both not real, I would not, I would call us as not feminist. My wife would say that she was the least, you know, she is the anti-feminist is what she would describe herself as. And, you know, she was, she was a good evangelical raised girl. You know, she, she, as far as, you know, she was playing her role. Um, and now being a father of an amazing, talented, beautiful young girl, like I can't even imagine, you know, telling her that, that she is to be submitted to some guy. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, and I know that we've discussed that before, how, you know, um, the the impact of, of having daughters. And, uh, um, and you know, and it's it's a really funny thing that, that you say that because, um, so... <clears throat> The uh, the the family that I mentioned earlier, right? Mm-hmm. The the dad had four daughters, and his his sons were spiritual sons. I I count myself among those people. Um, he raised. Four fiercely independent daughters. His wife is one of the um, most fiercely strong women that I know. I mean, and, you know, and these were girls that had, you know... uh, Forgive me for anybody who who gets offended by this idea. If you if you hate guns or whatever, but um, uh, you know he had them out shooting as 
real little girls and fishing and hiking and they, you know, uh, it's just, so there's, there's this like massive disconnect that I see in, in that culture. And I will not claim to understand it because he didn't look at them as, um, less than there's no part of me that for one second thinks that he looked at them as less than and, and, and he raised them to be fiercely strong women and and not in terms of fiercely strong women that are just less able, capable, capable or, or, uh, intelligent than a fiercely strong man. No, just, you know, they were raised as, uh, you know, as though they were everything that they are, right? It was literally just the fact that he he believed that that was the order of things. In the same way that I guess in the military you've got, you know, you've got your officer that's at the top and then you've got your officers that are below them and then you have your enlisted people and you know and and uh certainly there there's some point at which you say well this guy is is more important it's, than well, the guys below him but but for a, it, well, for a whole it, long period of time that's yeah. not really the case and 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 i've even seen some people kind of take the watered down approach of um it's not so much as really as an order as more as a it's a role you know, you have your role, I have my role kind of a thing as a, you know, neither one of us are better, but we each ha- are responsible for our duties. Right, right. I just can't say that that I agree with it. Um, and uh, and it's funny because I was I was talking with uh, one of the four daughters yesterday and um, and, and she uh, she asked me. Uh, she she said not to you know not to play the role of dad in this one but um you know who are you accountable to and i said um i said well heather you know that uh dad and i didn't didn't really see eye to eye on that one (laughs) 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 and she said yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I mean it it you know uh, it's not that I've ever really been able to uh um you know see eye to eye on that point I, I just at one point I I did accept this idea that you know the wife's got to submit and uh, you know and, and I I understand that they paint a really pretty picture for it too I mean there's there's a you know like you know, wives submit to your husbands as the church to Christ. And, it, you know, it's the symmetry and the imagery is the aesthetics of it. I I can see how they're appealing. So, Jeff, uh, I really appreciate you sharing the stuff that, that you did. Um, Thanks, man. I guess one other thing I kind of take away from here, and this is kind of going to be um closing more um i'd love to get your feedback on it but 
um, you know, the, the whole origin of this story is comes from men who are very, very, very spiritual, who, you know, dedicate their lives to reading the Holy Scripture. And they, they're, you know, they noticed, to them, they saw a discrepancy in the Scripture. And they felt like they needed to find an answer for it. And so, or or they need they they need to not say no. There's no discrepancy in the scripture. This is this is the reason why it's this way. And part of me asks, how often do have we done this in the Christian church when we when we take you know take to the side you know put aside your whatever any sort of doubts or expectations you have on whether or not you know the Bible that we have is is good or is not, and just say, for the assumption that it is, how often do we read into that scripture, and do does our mind try to fill in what we see as gaps in order to explain and make something feel more whole than, than, than what it is? I mean, all you have to really even look at is the shifting interpretations of you know, specific passages over the course of time. And you see that, you know, we're, we're, we're inclined to find a way to, to act as though God was talking about cars or airplanes, you know, because that's our reality. Now we just sort of mold it to our, our world right now. So you're saying that that's just something innate in human beings that when we read something that we, um, we we read our perspective into the text. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and, and we we and, do that as a way of of trying to consciously make sense of something that may not. show on iTunes as it'll help others to find and join the conversation.